haven't even heard me yet. Thanks. Appreciate it. It really is great to be with you. Last night when I landed here, the flight attendant said, welcome to Applewood, Wisconsin. But um, I think it was her first time too. But I know where I'm at, and I'm excited to be here with you this morning. I don't know if you know this, but your church has a reputation, Appleton Alliance Church, as a reputation for actually caring about people, for seeing stuff happen. I get to travel a lot in my job, and some places things are happening, and some places things are a little harder. And it's fun to be in a place like this, uh, with that kind of reputation, where people are being baptized and uh, lives are being changed. You also have a reputation, whether you know it or not, as a church that cares about the world. As a part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, which is an older organization that was really started out of a Holy Spirit impulse to say we can't keep this gospel to ourselves, we got to go to the world. The CMA has 2,000 churches in the U.S., but 10,000 around the world. And this church, Appleton Alliance, has contributed greatly every year to giving financial support to that mission, to sending some of your best workers, and we'll talk about some of those people in a second, to going on trips and internships and all those kind of things. So it's fun for me when I come in an environment like this because I'm joining friends. I mean, even if that's news to you because you're new here, uh, that this is the reputation of our church, uh, there's enough of you (laughs) that have been around and making that happen that I, I feel like I'm joining friends today. So thanks for having me come. I have uh, two kids. Rachel and I uh, have been married 15 years. We have two little boys, Blaine and Jude. They're 10 and 7. And Blaine is sort of your typical firstborn kid. He's uh, a motivated, pleaser, achiever, has to be perfect, has to do everything right, that kind of thing. Not every firstborn is like that. Some of you are not like that. And yet, uh, that's sort of the prototypical. Jude is our youngest, and he's sort of just here to party. Um, Like, if you got you know, something fun to do. He's starring as Lumiere in Beauty and the Beast this fall in the community theater. He's, uh, he's like our wild and crazy kind of funny little guy. And Blaine, early on, was not just a pleaser for us, but also sensitive to God. And I believe that God can speak to kids. I believe God speaks to kids all the time. He's doing it right now across the way, wherever they are. And those things are real in the lives of kids. But Blaine also has it mixed up with... Um, sort of pleasing the teacher kind of thing. So every time early on that they would say, you know, who wants to accept Jesus into your heart? Blaine would raise his hand. Like every single time. Some of you are like that. Like every, just make sure it takes kind of thing. And um, <laughs> so he, he kept doing that. And then he realized like, okay, everybody needs to do this. And he would ask us, why do we live in, in France and that kind of stuff? We'd tell him honestly. So eventually at evening prayers, he would start saying to his brother, do you want to accept Jesus into your heart? And Jude would say, no, I'm good. Uh, So like every night this kept going. You know, do you want to accept Jesus in your heart? Nope. Um, If you want me to do it, no, I don't want to do that, you know. And so then Blaine started getting a little bit more aggressive. And one night he goes, hey, do you want to accept Jesus in your heart? No. Fine. If you want to be separated from mom and dad for the rest of eternity and burn, that's up to you. (laughs) I'm like, let's let's, uh, take it a little easy. He's four. Um, (laughs) but Blaine kept being persistent and one night like Blaine had volunteered to pray for dinner every you know night for years and one night Jude goes I want to pray for dinner so Rachel and I look at each other like oh this is cool you know he goes but I don't have the words tell me what to say mom 
So, like, really begrudgingly, like, fine, I'll pray, you know, kind of thing. So, Rachel says, thank you for this day, you know, thank you for the food, thank you for our family. There's a little pause in the prayer. I kid you not, Blaine throws in, Jesus, come in my heart. So, Jude, who's just been repeating on the whole time, goes, Jesus, come in my heart. Blaine goes, done, we got him, right in the middle of the prayer. (laughs) Jude goes, wait, no, what happened? He goes, you said the words, I heard you. You're in. So that's not an evangel. This is not uh, evangelism 101 this morning on <laughs> how to lead your family and friends to Christ. Trick them. That's not. That's not what we're gonna do. But for Blaine, it's pretty black and white. He's a kid. Life gets more complicated. But for Blaine, here's the truth: God's good. He's real. He's love. He invites me into this place where my sins are forgiven and heaven is promised, and I get to live with Him here and now. So why wouldn't I want everybody around me, especially those who are close to me, to experience that kind of freedom and relationship and hope? Now, again, it's, it's more complicated. You don't trick people into it. But I wonder how many of us, after our time with God, if you've been journeying with God for a little while, kind of lose the edge a little bit because it gets more complicated and we start reasoning it away. But the truth is God is still love and he still does give, set people free And he still is inviting us to join him on mission. We're going to look at Luke chapter 10 this morning. Luke chapter 10 is this interesting passage where Jesus sends out 72 people on kind of their first short-term mission trip. We do a lot of that with Envision, so I'm going to make the connect in just a minute. But Jesus sends these people out, and at the beginning of Luke chapter 10, if you do have a Bible... Uh, It says this, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So here's what Jesus is saying. He says to the people, I'm sending you out ahead of me. Your first act as being sent is to pray. Couple observations here. Why does he say to pray? Well, the first thing is that he's not primarily talking to people who are just receiving a message like up on a hillside. He's actually telling the people to pray to the Lord of the harvest for more workers as he's sending them out. There are some of you in this room who are called to a lifetime of service international or domestic or whatever, like as a job, you're called to join God in ministry as a missionary somewhere. But not all of us are. We're not all called in the same way. But all of us who bear the name of Jesus, who follow Jesus, are sent ones. All of us who are called to Jesus are ultimately called to go and join him in what he's doing. We're not just called to like take in what he has for us. We're called to join him in what he's doing. And he says to the disciple, or the 72, when you get sent out, you need to pray because it's not always easy. In fact, most of the time, it's kind of hard to be a Christian. Fundamentally, everything changes when we give our lives to Christ. But if we're tempted to think that Jesus is primarily existing for our own comfort, then we have a rude awakening when we start living our lives with God because it's difficult. 
And he knows that when we join him on mission, even though we're inspired to do more, we're also needing help. And so he goes, pray for more. As you're getting sent out, you need to pray for more. You're going to see. The harvest is out there, but the workers are few. Pray for more. He also, I think, says this because he realizes an important truth, that mission is infectious. The more you join God in what he's doing to bring the kingdom to earth, like if you pray for somebody and they're healed, the more you want to pray for somebody. You lead some people to faith, the more you want to do it. It's infectious to see the kingdom because the, all of this stuff in, in scripture and in our lives is all of a sudden makes sense when we step out of the zone that we normally live in to serve others, to communicate the gospel, to send our people around the world. And he says, it's infectious. So you're going to want to pray for more because you're going to realize, man, the harvest is out there. But the people who really get it and are willing to join me are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send more workers. I, I do want to pause just on that pray word. Mark already called a, us to that. Saying that we pray for missionaries is not like some churchy thing that we just mail in. You know, we don't, we don't just say, yeah, like, pray. What, what else can we do but pray? You know, we have those kind of phrases. Jesus knows that the, the most powerful weapon on the front edge of mission is spiritual power. And the way we access that is through prayer. So all of us, no matter if you feel called to a lifetime of service or not, all of us are sent ones and all of us are prayers. We're praying that the, God, the, the God who calls us would demonstrate his harvest and also would raise up more workers. He, he calls us all to pray. And then Jesus says sort of the most un-American thing. Um, Go on your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. <laughs> it's like not super pump you up, encouraging. Why would he say to the 72, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves? Because obviously there is a power dynamic happening. Like somebody's at a disadvantage between a lamb and a wolf. If you put them uh, next to each other, one's a little bit scarier than the other one, right? Lambs are kind of these dumb little creatures that walk around, and wolves could kill them. So why does he say, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves? I think because he's just trying to give them a reality check. That, look, I'm sending you out. I'm going to follow you. I'm with you. You're not going alone. But when you choose to join me, you're going to go in the midst of kind of a wolf pack. There's danger when we look around our world. In fact, um, I read a study on the plane yesterday that said Americans are more nervous about our country right now than they are about their own finances, about other things. I don't know if that's really true, but it does speak to the fact that we feel unsettled as Americans. And the world feels unsettled. It feels like every time you turn on the news, there's another thing. And it's overwhelming. As a side note, I don't know that humans were meant to have this much information at their fingertips all the time. Because I don't think we can handle it. I don't think our souls have the capacity for it all. But when you flip on the TV or Twitter or wherever you get your news, you're overwhelmed. I just want to tell you that God is not overwhelmed. I know that there are real dangers and there are real concerns and I'm not minimizing any of that stuff, but Jesus is not sitting on his throne wringing his hands going, I can't do it this time. They went too far. God who created the whole world and sustains it will see this through. He will accomplish what he's going to accomplish. So take courage. But it's never been easy. 
Sometimes we have this romantic idea of the early church, like if we could have just been at the first of the century, like when they all died for it, <laughs> they all just got rounded up and killed. So for most of us, the, the romantic notion of following Jesus when it meets, rubber meets the road is hard. And I'll tell you why it's so worth it in just a second, but Jesus has given him a reality check. One of my friends who's a missionary has been to the Middle East for uh, a while used this analogy recently, and I asked her for permission, so I'm stealing it. Most good preaching is stolen from something. Hopefully from the Bible first. Um, She used the analogy of bullets and Nutella. There's different kinds of danger in the world. Some of our friends who wake up today have real danger from bullets. But gunmen walked in here, we're in real danger. And there is that kind of danger all the time. And and, uh, so we get that. But there's a different kind of danger, especially for the American church, for us in the West, and it's Nutella. Have you ever had Nutella? It's delicious. Hazelnut kind of treat. My kids will just eat Nutella straight out the jar, you know, with like the... And one time we found like a big butcher knife with Nutella on it, and I'm like, oh my word. <laughs> Nutella has now become actually dangerous. But that's not the point of the story. <laughs> I wasn't planning on saying that part. Um, Nutella... Nutella can be dangerous as an example because if you just eat nothing but Nutella, like nothing but Nutella, eventually your internal organs aren't going to be able to process all that sugar. And uh, you're going to get slow and inoperable and eventually you'll die. But it's going to be a slow, for a while, sweet kind of death. (laughs) But you're going to die. You're a danger. If if all you eat is junk food, so you can use whatever analogy you want, uh, eventually you're in danger. So we are all in a certain kind of danger in the West. It's just that most of the time we draw a line between perceived danger and the other kind of dangers that we're in. And Jesus is saying, as Christians, you're always amongst, amidst wolves. They're not always just mean people. There's just resistance. There's spiritual resistance. There's all kinds of resistance. So the question is, do we want as people, as Christians, to step into a place where we know it's a little risky, but God is there and he's faithful and he's doing his work, or do we want to sit at home and die a slow sort of Nutella kind of death? That's kind of the question, because we're all in some sort of danger. My friends Chris and Jamie O'Dell, when they went to Taiwan a few years ago, they set up shop in an area in Ximending in Taipei where there'd never been a church before in the history of the world. And they weren't really at physical risk, but their egos were at risk. Their success was at risk. They were recent college graduates, and Chris is a go-getter, achiever kind of guy, and he could make a lot of money in business here in the States, but they had this call on their life. So they go to Taipei, and the first week of ministry, they went upstairs in this upstairs apartment and just started yelling out, we speak English and we have coffee. Anyone want to come? And a couple of people trickled in that wanted to learn English. And one thing led to another. And today, actually this week, we were talking about how to establish the board for the second location of their church plant and their coffee shop because now they're averaging over 100, 150 people. They've raised up a pastor. Now they're planting a new church with a new coffee shop and everything. Because Chris and Jamie thought, you know what, this is going to cost us. It's going to cost us to be from our family. Uh, It's going to cost us in terms of, uh, like, is this actually going to work? But the payoff is so big because the people who live there have never heard the gospel. And so the 72 go and Chris and Jamie go. 
Some of you have been to El Salvador, uh, to our Envision site there, and today they'll meet with, a hungry church will meet, with primarily deportees and their wives and their friends who have come to faith. Now 10 of those uh, people are in a leadership development program getting trained to be pastors in San Salvador. That's an actually dangerous place. I mean, there's some bullets involved there in, in that place. But Tony Escalante and the crew get up motivated and they could do other stuff. I think it's important to realize like when we do a missions conference that when you hear from the midgets and you hear from all these people, like they could do other things, right? I mean, they don't have to go into these hard places, but they're so motivated and driven to Jesus and Jesus has sent them specifically into those places that they feel like they can't do anything else. That's what my dream would be for us as believers, that whether we ever leave the country or not, that we say, once I follow Jesus, I realize I really can't do anything else but follow him and join him on mission. I want to tell you just a few minutes about Envision. Uh, more specifically, you have some slides uh, about this. Envision is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. That's where this church has that alliance name. Most of you know that. The CMA, I already told you a little bit about the, the scope of it, but the CMA really has four ways of doing missions globally. We have sort of traditional church planting. We have a business as mission arm called Marketplace Ministries. We have a relief and development arm called Kama, Compassion and Mercy Associates. And we have Envision. Envision is the fourth one. And Envision's heartbeat really is to say, how can we get people from point A to point B so that they get so passionate about missions that they can't do anything else. It's sort of, for lack of a better term, a farm team for Alliance Missions, I hope. It's a strategy for a next wave of leaders. So we identify and develop missional leaders. Sometimes that's a high school student who goes on their first mission trip and they get the bug. Or it's a midterm worker who goes for a month or a year or two years, or sometimes it's, it's long-term people and their desire is to establish communities of faith in key cities all over the world. So we have 22 locations right now, 22 cities where that's getting done. 15 international, seven in the U.S. We'll show you a quick list of those. Um, some of the highlights where you guys have overlapped, many of you know about the good work in Burkina Faso, have contributed financially, have gone to the, that country, Brandon and Melanie Hillstadt are here uh, from uh, Burkina who are going to Paris and joining our team there. Mally and Val uh, McLaughlin are here, and you'll hear from Mally next Sunday as he preaches, and I'll come back to him in just a second. Uh, so there's new connections and deeper connections with Paris these days. You have a lot of connections with Peru, with Inca Link, and some trips there, and, uh, and that's an envisioned kind of ministry, and El Salvador and beyond. If you flip to the U.S. side, we're really excited about some new places. New York City is brand new and uh, hasn't even made the slide yet, but uh, is, is brand new. Uh, there is a um, relatively timid, kind of calm individual who's leading our Atlanta site, Pete Brockup. Uh, <laughs> if you know Pete, some of you do. If you've met Pete, um, you don't forget Pete. And Pete's missionary fervor and his excitement has led him now to Atlanta. And they've planted an Ethiopian church. Uh, Skyer Shunky is there for a year and uh, just got there in, in August. We're stoked about that. 
Excited for her development, but also to see what's going on in Clarkston there, primarily among refugees. Pete texted me this morning. I told him I was going to be here. He said a guy gave $10,000 this morning at the place that he was at to reinforce the refugee ministry there in Clarkston. And we're thrilled that people who are coming from places where there's little or no access to the gospel are showing up in our own country with an opportunity for us to minister to them and give them the life-changing power of Jesus. I know that there are political realities and we can debate all that stuff, but here's the truth. As Christians, we have an opportunity in this day and age that has never existed before in America where we have this many people from these kind of places coming to our backyards and we have an opportunity to minister to them and we're thrilled about that. Jesus sends the 72 out in Luke 10 and then he brings them back. So he brings them back and in verse 17, they return with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They're returning with joy. And he said to them, yeah, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all power of the enemy. Nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. First of all, there is power in the name of Jesus. It's not just a song. It's not just a thing that we say. Jesus' name carries power because Jesus is the one who is the Lord of this earth. And so when people encounter Jesus, things are changed. Demons do submit to Jesus. People are healed in the name of Jesus. So I just want to reinforce the fact that this is a normative experience. When we join Jesus on mission, stuff happens. Because he's powerful and he loves to see the kingdom come. But it's interesting that the, the 72 come back and they're stoked about their mission trip. They're like, man, you should have seen what happened. We were rocking. We go out there, didn't know how it was going to go, and they come back fired up. If you've been on a mission trip, you come back, and you, most of the time you're fired up. Sometimes you're, uh, like, in shock. But a lot of times you're fired up. And Jesus turns to them, and he says, don't just rejoice in the stuff that you got done. Now I want to tell you a secret of mission. When you go out, you actually realize why you're on the planet. It's such a gift to know that when we go out and we see God at work, that now we realize, oh, I get it now. As I serve others, I'm realizing that I have been saved and that God is real and he's good on his promises and he actually does make stuff happen. We're tempted sometimes in the West to make this all about us and we've got to, you know, hit the metrics and all that kind of stuff. And metrics are good. There's nothing wrong with that. But Jesus says, don't just rejoice in the stuff you're getting done. Even the amazing stuff that you're getting done, rejoice that you have been invited to the party. Humble yourself and say, thank you, God, that I know you. It's a great word for us as Christians. And this is kind of the reason that Envision exists. I, we sent out two guys to Guinea last year. Two kind of totally different guys. One of the guys, Guinea, West Africa, um, it's a tough place and a needy place. And we sent out one guy who was like barely sort of ready. His name was Braden. He's like a young believer, not the most skilled guy yet. Um, and so we called the site leaders. They said, is he teachable? Is he humble? Then we'll take him, okay? Then there was another guy who was at the same intern training. His name is Joe, missionary kid, grew up there, got it. Already spoke the language, 
we're in intern training, and he's like whispering, like, this is not actually that hard. It's fine, you know, to all the other interns. So I called the site leaders and said, this guy is going to be a great co contributor to the mission, but um, he knows he's good. And they said, we'll take him. This is going to be great. He's graduating from Moody Bible Institute, student body chaplain, like that kind of guy. So they both land in Guinea at the same time. And God did awesome work through them, but he did awesome work in them. And I love hearing these stories as Envision Director because it makes my job sort of worth it. Because Braden went, and six weeks in, he's partnering with this like uh, Muslim ministry outreach uh, thing in, in Conakry. He's sharing the gospel. Six weeks in, he looks at the site leader and he goes, I don't know if I'm a Christian. He said, I'm sharing the gospel, but I don't, I believe, I've always believed that God was there and that he was good, but I don't know if I've ever really decided to follow Jesus with my whole heart. So Stephen took him out and they baptized him in a river. So one of the guys doing ministry got saved because he went on mission. That stuff happens all the time. Joe had a different kind of experience. He went and he was killing it from day one. Editing film and speaking French and doing all his stuff. But six weeks in or eight weeks in, he's having a come to Jesus moment alone in his room. Because he said, I, I don't know if I've ever actually prayed out of a heart of love to God. Or if I'm serving him for any of the right reasons, or am I only serving God when I'm like on top and when it's going well? So he took this flag that was representative of his life. He had gotten it when he graduated from MK school and they had all these like signatures on it. Joe, you're the greatest. And he had put it on his college dorm wall and he took it with him on his internship. He said, you know what? I need to get rid of this thing because it really is putting the cart before the horse. So he went and had like a funeral service for the flag. It's a little weird, but they dug a hole and they put the flag in and he prayed and he said, I really want to be dead to myself and alive to Christ. When we join God on mission beyond ourselves, we realize we don't have what it takes actually. <laughs> we, we, we're not smart enough or gifted enough or talented enough. Friends, the world doesn't need more like shiny things. They just need people who are humbly walking with God and who are willing to do what he asks them to do and to go to difficult places. And as we join him, we figure out why we're on the planet to begin with. And that's why I'm so thrilled. You have so many people doing that kind of stuff. I mentioned Skylar. It's so fun having Matt and Alba here preparing to be missionaries, having a call on their lives and saying, we can't shake this. We got to go. So they're being developed in those things. And you have sent out many, many others to different places who've gotten that same sort of bug. I want to finish with one last concept from Luke chapter 10 and, and give you a last story. At the end of Luke 10, Jesus, uh, after the 72 have kind of walked away, Jesus pulls the 12 aside in verse 23. Turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see but didn't see it, to hear what you hear but didn't hear it. In other words, guys, do you know that for hundreds and now thousands of years, people have been waiting for these moments to happen? Like, I'm here. I'm the Messiah. You are so fortunate to be alive right now to see this stuff. He says it to him because a couple verses later, they're probably going to say, hey, who do you think Jesus likes more? Or <laughs> they're going to get it disconnected. And he just wants to remind them, like, 
What's happening right now is, is a really big deal and you get to be a part of it. I wonder if Jesus would say the same thing to us, to the American church. Blessed are the eyes that get to see what you see. Or less sort of churchy, it's a great time to be alive. When we're tempted to see the world through evening news lenses, Tim Crouch, my boss, says that all the time, we get it wrong. We, we get it messed up. But when we see the world through gospel lenses, we realize that things like breakthrough in countries that has never happened is happening because of the Spirit of God. In, the, in North Africa recently, Jesus himself appeared to this one guy, uh, and 400 people have come to faith in the last couple of months. Last 30 years, nothing. Just plowing away. Harvest is plentiful. When's the harvest coming? When's the harvest coming? That's good stuff. But that's the stuff that God is doing, not just because um, we are, are smart or clever or whatever, but because he's breaking through. And so I think he's saying to the American church, wake up a little bit and realize there's a different way to see this. We gave glasses to my kid last year. It's a terrible idea to give glasses to a child um, because they're not responsible. And even though he needs them to see, he's like, we found them in the guinea pig cage. We found them, like, how'd they get, I don't know, they just fell off my face. Okay. But Blaine's favorite thing to do in the whole world is watch screens. He would do that. Um, I mean, we have to fight against that. But he can see the screens better with the glasses. But he doesn't want to bother with it. Like, he doesn't want to have to be responsible for the glasses. And yet, for some of us, it's easy to see with a little kid who's irresponsible. But some of us, if we would just be intentional and, and open ourselves to the work of God, we could put on glasses to see what he's actually doing around us. Here in Wisconsin, he's doing all kinds of things that we're sometimes not aware of. He's doing things all over the world in places that are the most, that, that really we are, are taught to just think negatively about, and yet God is not thinking negatively about anybody. He's saying, I, I want all to come to repentance. Here's the last story. I've told this uh, a number of times in the last uh, year or two, but it's a good one. You know what? Before I tell the last story, I'm going to say one more thing. <laughs> Preacher's prerogative. Um, Mally is, is preaching next Sunday, and I want to thank Appleton for letting us hang out. If anything, they just flew Mally from Paris and flew me here, so we get to hang out for a couple days, which is fun. When, when we met six, seven years ago, I think it was six years ago, uh, Mally was far from God. And to bookend a missions week like this with uh, Mally, where he's speaking next week, is like, I can't even tell you how that feels. And it makes it, for me, all worth it. It makes the fact that, you know, most people in France who are hanging out don't have access to the gospel. They don't have friends who are Christians. There's not a bunch of churches doing a bunch of things. There is one church for every 30,000 uh, people and uh, less than 1% by far of the people under 30 in Paris are following Jesus. And I didn't do anything special. We were just friends. But I just kept saying, is there a different way to see this? And eventually God got a hold of Mally's heart. Maybe he'll tell you some of that story next Sunday. But now he's married one of your own, Val, and now they're missionaries. And so to see the gospel at work in those places is encouragement enough for me to keep going. But I got to be really honest with you. The last six, eight months of my life have been the hardest uh, time of my life. I've struggled. Um, we've had a family crisis that has been brutal. I mean, just brutal. And there have been days when I felt like quitting. I almost resigned. Uh, there have been, and, 
And one of my former students who has walked away from the Lord sent me a text recently and said, um, so is this it? Like for you, is this enough? You're going to walk away? Kind of evangelizing in the wrong direction, I guess. And I said, uh, no. Honestly, and it wasn't trying to be like holier than thou. Honestly, I just don't know where else I would go. Like, Jesus really is who he says he is. He really does set people free. Would I just kind of hole out and watch Netflix and hope for the best? I mean, what am I going to do? Once you get a taste of freedom, even in the worst of circumstances, Jesus is enough. And in those days in France when we didn't see anything happening or anybody coming to faith, now to see on the flip side, it's encouraging for me personally to be here with Mally because the rest of the stuff doesn't seem like it's going well. And that's the life of a Christian. That's the life of a missionary at times is those things held in tension and yet God is good and he will see it through. Here's the last story. There was a, a young woman named Galia in Eastern Europe in a place where there's no access to the gospel hardly at all. She had been going through a really difficult time. At night, she had listened to Christian radio that was piped in by like Transworld Radio or something into her room. And it said, God loves you and gave himself for you. And that was kind of the only thing that was making her feel better. But she didn't have anyone to connect the dots. She didn't know who God was. And so eventually she hit the end and she went and uh, decided to take her own life. And so she goes outside the town to this river and she jumped in the river. And somebody grabbed her by the shoulders and pulled her out on the bank. She looked around, nobody's there. This is a true story happened a couple of years ago, told by one of our Alliance missionaries. So she jumped in again. And a second time, somebody grabs her shoulders and pulls her out. And, you know, this is a little crazy. But um, at this point, her life had not changed. Things hadn't really improved. So golly, a third time jumps in the river. And a third time, somebody grabs her by the shoulders and pulls her out on the bank of the river. And she looks around, and there's nobody there, so... Now she's too freaked out to keep going. So she goes home and her mom doesn't know what's going on. She gets cleaned up. Her mom comes in, not knowing any of this had taken place and said, Galia, um, it's great. Our friends who have moved away are back in town. They've been gone for a while. And so her best friend comes walking up to her and says, Galia, I just need to say something to you first. God loves you and gave himself for you. They hugged. She proceeded to share the whole gospel with her. And that day, Golly and her whole family came to faith. I tell you that story for three reasons as we close. Number one is this. Some of you come in, and this has been the worst six months of your life, and you need to know something. The God who pursued Galia and who created the world is still pursuing you. Sometimes we hear mission, uh, like missions talks, and we're like, I, I can't even do my own thing, let alone help other people. And God is compassionate with you. And he's here for you. And he wants to comfort you. And he's still in the business of saving people and making things right. So I just want to tell you that to, to those of you in that boat. Secondly, these kind of stories are happening all over the world all the time. May we have eyes to see what God is doing and how big he is. Because most of the time we're so introspective that we forget that God is literally pulling people out of a river. And the third reason I'm telling you that is because somebody needed to go to that other country where Galia's friend went to share the life-changing power of Jesus with her friend so she could in turn share it with Galia. It doesn't happen by accident. Those stories that, you know, where Jesus appears to the guy in Africa happen, but they're not that common. They're fun to talk about. They're not that Most times people come to faith because somebody told them about Jesus. That's how most of you are in this room.
And we need more people who are willing to step outside this church in this town, but then also people who are willing to go to the ends of the earth to see Jesus do what he's promised to do, which is make all things right and draw all things to himself. Can I pray for you? God, will you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you're saying to this church, what you're saying to us as believers, and would you raise up many from this church who will have a a life-changing experience as they go, but also will make a difference and will join you in seeing the kingdom come. God, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's an audacious prayer. But we pray that today, asking you to do what seems impossible because we know that you're capable. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.